four, three sisters, and they lost one child, but four children of the next 10 years, my father waiting for a son to work him to death. And let me tell you, at my house, when I was a kid, you worked. That's just the way it was. My father had a huge garden and, and uh, lots of tasks that were always going on at my house. And um, let me tell you, from the time that I was probably about four years old, five years old, I was out in the yard working with my dad every day after school, if I was in school, on the weekends. It wasn't a question, okay? You guys, we didn't wake up, you know, at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning and think, oh, we have to do anything today. That's just not the way it worked in my house. And one of the earliest memories I have was my father working down in the garden, okay? We had a large garden down across the creek on our property. I know it doesn't mean much to you, but it means a whole lot to me. And down there, we had a large garden, and it was time to run the rototiller, okay? Do you know what a rototiller is? It kind of looks like that. Now, it didn't look like that in 1975, that's for sure, okay? But here's the picture in my mind of probably the first maybe 10 years of my life. My dad is running the rototiller. If you're not familiar with this thing, what it does is it kind of like, you know, it beats up the ground. It, it mixes up the earth. It takes the ground that's hard and, and you know, just it's, over time has is, is kind of settled and it's very hard on top. And, and you run this rototiller and it kind of does this. And these spines go down the ground and, and just turn the dirt over and over and over. Back and forth you go. How many have run a rototiller sometime in your life? Okay, a bunch of us. All right, so you're familiar with it. Well, here's my memory. Now, my dad didn't stick a five-year-old on the end of the rototiller. Okay, that's not what happened. That would be pretty humorous to watch, but that's not, that's not what occurred. As my father is walking along, running the rototiller, okay, and he's turning the dirt over, and I tell you, there's something, there's something special about that soil that's just been turned over, isn't there? You, you know that smell, okay? If you've done it, you know what I'm talking about. And my dad is walking along, and the way this thing works, you walk behind it. You walk behind the machine. And once the machine does its thing, the the soil is now real loose and turned over. And my father is walking along, stepping in the dirt as he goes. Okay, and just in, you know, probably just a normal gait of a of a six foot tall man as he moves along, running this machine. But behind him, from about 1975 to, I don't know, when I was old enough to run it myself, walked little Mickey. And I can remember this so clearly. I can remember walking behind him. And the, 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 you know, the, the task, the, the game that I was playing was trying to go from one of his footprints, you know, you've done this, right? Jumping to the next. Okay, and, and all the way across the garden, I would go from one footprint to the next. I remember doing this. I mean, you know, I know it's exaggerated in my mind's eye. I know that. But I remember doing it for just an extended period of time. Walking behind my father. Walking behind my dad. You might say, Walking as my dad walked, right? Jesus calls us, the Spirit of God calls us to walk as Jesus walked. Now, some of us, we, 
we're jumping, okay? I mean, it's, it's, we're new in this, and I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to try, and we might mess up and even fall down sometimes. But if God's spirit resides in you, if you are a child of God, God has placed a desire in your heart to walk as Jesus walked. That's 1 John 2, 6. I'm not just making that up because of the rototiller story. That's straight out of the Bible. Walk as Jesus walked. And James wasn't the only one. I'm sorry, John wasn't the only one who said that. Peter said it this way, that Jesus leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We, as we are new creatures in Christ, we are called to emulate the life of Jesus. To look at what Jesus lived and as his spirit enables us, not in our own strength, as the spirit enables us to live that out. Now I ask you just, just, just for a thought, because I know many people, they struggle with what I'm saying. They struggle with what I'm saying. They say, well, I can't live like Jesus did. I mean, after all, he is God, right? That's what we all think. But what do we do with what the Bible calls us to do? Paul said, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. John said, walk as Jesus walked. Peter said, follow in his steps. Jesus himself said that we are to be holy as God is holy. He is our model. So as I think about Jesus, just throw this idea at you. There, there, Jesus comes, and I'm going to use a term here. They don't really mean it, okay? Don't, don't, like, you know, don't get too upset about this. But really three forms you can think of Jesus, okay? Pre-incarnate, before Jesus became a man. Jesus incarnated, Jesus as a man. Jesus resurrected, resurrected Jesus. You see the three forms, using that, form, that term very lightly, okay? Pre-incarnate. In the flesh, resurrected. We are to be as Jesus is. We are to emulate him, walk as he walked. Let me ask you, can you be like him pre-incarnate? Can you be like Jesus before he became a man? You know, creating the earth and sustaining it, okay? Speaking and people exist. Can you do that? No, no, sorry. Okay, let's go resurrect to Jesus. Where is that right now? At the right hand of God, interceding for us. Can you pull that off? Not really. So where do we look? Where do we find our information to know what the Spirit of God is going to do in our life? We look to Jesus in the Gospels, the incarnated Christ. And his call for us that I want to talk about for the next four or five weeks is that we, like him, would be Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Open up your Bible with me, okay? We're going to now leave Ephesians, where we've been, talking about walking as Jesus walked. We're now going to actually look at the walking Jesus. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. One of the four Gospels. You know, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all record the, the account of what Jesus did when he was on the earth. Now, they have a lot of similarities, but they have a lot of differences. Mark is the shortest of our Gospels. 
It's the fastest acting. Often you see in the Gospel of Mark the word immediately in the English. Meaning the idea that as soon as this happened, they did this. And as soon as that was done, they did this. And as soon as that was done, they did this. So the Gospel of Mark is, is, is high moving. It is high speed. But where we're going to kind of focus today is on the first chapter. And we're going to spend really several weeks together looking at the first few chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Let me just start and read verse number one. Hear how Mark opens up his Gospel. I will say this, in case you're wondering, Mark was not one of the 12 apostles. Think about that. Hmm. He's not one of the 12 apostles. So on what authority is he writing? He's a follower of Jesus. But what, by what authority is Mark recording these words? Most theologians, I mean pretty much anybody who takes a conservative view of the New Testament, meaning they believe that it's actually God's word, hold to this idea that Peter, Peter is the real source of information here. Peter is the one who's remembering these things and and expressing them to Mark, who the Spirit of God now is inspiring him to write this down. And so when I read the Gospel of Mark, I know I'm really hearing what Peter remembers, this man of action, what he remembers Jesus did. Let's start at verse number one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Behold, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And from that we have John appearing. We already have several characters that are thrown out at us here, okay? We've got John. This is John the Baptist, okay? This is not the author of the Gospel of John, but this is the first cousin of Jesus and a friend of Jesus, a contemporary of Jesus, the man who baptized Jesus, John the Baptist. We have Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet, 700 B.C. roughly, okay, who recorded God's word, proclaiming the Messiah that would come. But the hero of the gospel and the one that we look to is referenced in verse number one. I want to say just a brief word about that before we get to our real topic for today. Because this is where we built. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. I just want to take just a moment and make sure that you know who this one is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me just take a moment and and tell you about him. Really, in that name, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we've got sort of a threefold emphasis of who Jesus is. First of all, we see that he is the Christ. He is the Christ. That means the one chosen by God. That's who he is. There's only one way to God, and that is through the singular Christ. There is no other way under the Father except through the Christ Jesus. Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So when the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Christ, It is identifying him as the way. 
I know it's an exclusive message, and I know that's not popular in our culture today. But Jesus Christ himself has said this. And this has been the understanding of Christianity since the days of Jesus. That you cannot escape the message of Christ. Jesus allowed no other way for man to experience heaven, to experience God, other than the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And he is the son of God. Notice what it says there. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now let's talk about what that means for just a minute. The son of God. Now the term son of, what that means is, it means that he comes with that same authority as the one who sent him. He comes in the spirit of the one who sent him. Now, if you have Muslim friends, they don't understand what this means. And they struggle over what does it mean that Jesus calls himself the Son of God. What it means is he is coming with the same authority as God. He is coming in the same identity as God. It's very similar to when he says that he is the Son of Man. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. And what did that mean? It means he comes in the fashion of man. He comes with the identity of man. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what you and I need to understand as followers of Jesus. He is the way. He is the only way to heaven. But he is also the truth. He is God in the flesh. Jesus said, he is truth. He is truth. There is no other truth other than Jesus. When Jesus identifies himself as God, he is saying, he is the truth. And as you know him, as you experience the way, Jesus, you learn who he is. You learn who what his identity is, that he is God. He is my Lord and Savior. Think about what that means. The word Lord there, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't simply mean that he's in heaven or that he's God. That's not what it means. The word Lord there means that he is master. I mean, we don't even understand the concept of master. We don't, we don't experience that in our culture. The closest we might be able to come up with is like maybe, maybe a boss or, or like a president or something like that. But that's not there either. That he is, he is the Lord means he is king over all. And a subject is, the word no isn't even an option to the subject of a king. You look at a king and say no and you lose your life. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. And then think about this. Not only is Jesus here, or Mark identifies that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. But now hear this. He's also Jesus. Jesus. You probably don't know many people named Jesus because you live now. If you live then, it's a very common name. 
a very common name in Jesus' day. Okay? It's the same name as Joshua. It means that God saves is what it means. But what we need to understand about this truth of who Jesus is, is that he is a person. He is a human. He is the Messiah. He is God. But he is also human. So what this means for us, what we need to understand, when the Bible says that Jesus, he is, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he's God, and he's human. And he is human as you and I were meant to be. So if you want to know, what is God's plan for humans? When God made you, what was his desire for what those humans would be? You look to Jesus. He is what God designed man to be. He's the Messiah. He is God. He is our example. And so for the next couple of weeks, I want us to talk about what does it mean to be a fisher of men? Let me tell you where we're headed, okay, just so you know. I want you to be challenged over the next few weeks to share the gospel with someone in your life. I don't mean be a good person. I don't mean be honest at work. I don't mean be a good hard worker. I don't mean that. That's not enough. Let me tell you a lie. Here's a lie. Up front, this is a lie. Witness always, use words when necessary. Lie. You can not witness without words. That statement was made by a Catholic monk a thousand years ago. Really? Is that how we're going to base our life? On what he said? Witness always, use words when necessary? Baloney. There are many very righteous people in man's eyes rotting in hell today because it never responded to the words of the gospel. So I want to challenge you over the next couple of weeks to literally, physically, verbally share the gospel with someone in your life. Now, I'm going to do more than challenge you with that. We're also going to tell you very clearly how to do it. Because the bulk of Christians in America today have never shared Christ, the gospel, with another person. So you know that guilty feeling you're feeling right now? Okay, you're like, oh man. Listen, there's a lot of people feeling that in this room. Okay, they are. So we're going to help you with that. We're going to give you a means of sharing the gospel on a napkin, in a restaurant, at your dining room table, that you can share the gospel with somebody in your life. Okay? So let's get through the why and the how we're going to do this before we talk about how you're going to pull it off on a napkin. All right? Just continue through the gospel of Mark. Let me just say a brief word, okay? I don't have time to explain it, but looking at verses 2 all the way through number 13, we see that Jesus entered the world. 
Jesus entered the world. God entered the world, okay? He came to a real land. Here's a picture of it, okay? Here's a picture of the land that that Jesus actually came into, okay? It's a real land with real things, and Jesus lived a real life with real people. He came to Israel. He came to his own. His own received him not, And what we're going to go to today is we're going to jump all the way down to verse number 14. And we're going to see what Jesus did to reach the world with the gospel. He had a very clear method, a very clear means of reaching the world with the gospel. Read with me at verse number 14. It says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, just for sake of time, I need to just tell you that between verses number 13 and 14 in the Gospel of Mark, an interesting thing happens. See verses 13, look at verse number 13 with me. It's about the temptation of Jesus. And then in verse number 14, Jesus is in Galilee, and he calls these men to come and be fishers of men. Now, between the end of verse 13 and verse number 14, 12 to 18 months of time go by. Isn't that interesting? A year to a year and a half of time goes by between 13 and 14. Basically, it's John chapters 1 through 5 exist between verses 13 and 14. Now, what does that look like? That looks like Jesus' first interaction with the disciples. It looks like the wedding into wine, uh, I'm sorry, the water into wine at the wedding. It looks like the Samaritan woman, remember her? Looks like the conversation with Nicodemus. It looks like John 3.16, for God's love the world, give his only son, so forth. It looks like the, the revival in Samaria. It looks like rejection in Jerusalem. Run for your life out of Jerusalem. It looks like returning to Nazareth. And they're being rejected and running for your life. And then Jesus lands in Galilee and comes to a lake and bumps into a few guys and says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Let me just share with you the plan that Jesus has to reach the world. First of all, he's going to use everyday people just like you and me. Everyday people is who Jesus is going to use. Not superstars, not not great big people, you know, with powerful positions, but everyday people 
Everyday people. Go to my next slide for me, Jacob. Everyday people, okay? This is his plan to reach the world. Now, where, where am I finding that? I want you to notice here what happens, okay? Look at verse number 16. Now, notice what happens. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, and he saw James and John, and they left, and everything they had, they left their nets, they left Zebedee, their dad, they left their fishing business, and they followed Jesus. And here's what we think. Here's what you think. Now, listen to me. I want to correct your thinking. You think that Jesus walked up to this lake Saw these strangers, smart people maybe, powerful people. Maybe they could really, you know, wow people with their comedy or their speaking ability. And he said, you, follow me. And they went into a trance. Yes, sir. And away they went after him. That's what you think. And that's not true. When Jesus showed up at the Sea of Galilee and spoke to Simon and Andrew and James and John, they had been watching him. For a year and a half. Go back and read John chapter 1. I wish I had time to share it with you. In John chapter 1, he's interacting with them. And they do ministry for a year. They watch Jesus and experience Jesus for a year to a year and a half. And now he says, come and I will make you fishers of men. Listen, some of you have been following Christ for 10, 20, 30 years. Are you convinced now? Are you convinced? Have you come to realize he is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Have you been convinced? Finally, are you like, okay, I know he's the way. I know he is the truth. I know he is the life. I know. You're not done. You're not finished. Jesus is calling you as everyday people to join in his mission. You've been watching long enough, folks. You've been watching long enough. If you're not convinced now, you're not going to be, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now come join him in his mission. He will make us fishers of men. And so it required these guys, and this is what it requires for all of us to respond to him. They had to let go. They had to let go. For them, they had to let go of their fishing business. James and John had to let, had to let go of their dad. Right later on the passage, it explains that, the, that Zebedee, James and John's father, He was a a successful businessman. He had hired servants. And James and John say, I'm leaving you to become a fisher of men. Now this probably won't mean leaving your career for most of you. It probably isn't going to mean that. But it does mean leaving your selfish ambitions and your selfish protection and your pride that doesn't want to be laughed at or doesn't want to be poked fun of. I know. I've been there. I've been there. Everyday people. They come to Capernaum is the name of the town. Okay? They come to Capernaum. And I'm going to show you that on a map. We're going to see this as everyday people. Okay? And they're in their everyday world. Okay? Right where they're at. There's, there's nothing special here. They're in their world. I want to show you where they're at. Okay? So let me have my map up there, please. All right? So Jesus was down in Jerusalem. 
okay? He got drove out of there, went up to Nazareth, got drove out of there, and now he lands in Capernaum. Now, this is the, let me tell you some interesting things about Capernaum, just for sake of time. Got to be quick. Capernaum is a business city. Nazareth is a little hole in the ground. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Read John chapter 1. Capernaum, there was a Roman military base there. There was a tax collecting office. There's a, major, there's a major road, a Roman road that went through Capernaum. And that's where Jesus went. And that's where he set up shop. Where, where people are. Jesus uses everyday people in their world. In the world that you live in. Everyday people in their world. That's who he uses. Continuing on through the passage, I want you to notice what he said. He said in verse number 17, I will make you become fishers of men. These people will be equipped by Jesus. And he will now equip us to share him with other people. Jesus does the work. He uses other people, but he equips us now to share his message. And notice what the message is, okay? Notice what the message is. Go back to verse number 15 and see what Jesus' message is. This is our message. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled in verse 15. You can't wait any longer. The time is now. You know, when you get it, you will share it. The time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. God is working in people's lives. So repent and believe in the gospel. That's our message. That's what we share. The time is now. Repent Turn from sin, turn from your selfish disbelief in G- of Jesus, of God, and have faith, believe in him. I'm going to invite Pastor Billy up here. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to help you know how to do this. Okay? And so we, I, it's a goal for you to share this message with somebody in the next couple of weeks. Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to somebody. Well, that's okay. I brought an expert here to share with you how to move a uh, whiteboard, and that's James. And um, so, Pastor Bill, you want to move it up here? I think that'd be best. You come up here. Uh, James, I need you to help you with the other end of this, buddy. I think we can do this, Maybe. I want it up there. Oh my goodness, that thing's heavy. Good gracious, whose idea was this? Hello, check, 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 check. Okay. I am glad that Pastor, Pastor Lowell asked me to come up here. I just want to take a, a couple minutes and I want to share something with you that really is something that I share with other people. Um, it's called the gospel. And I'm going to show you how you can share the gospel with someone very easily. Pastor Lowell referenced it. You can do it on a napkin. You can do it in your, in your living room, in your dining room. If you know anything about the gospel, which is called the good news, you'll know that there's many different ways you can share it. You can share the same exact thing. We have something on, this, on the Welcome Center here. It's a May I Ask You a Question a little booklet. And for years I've used that. 
use that. Has anyone taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you can get to heaven? That's the very first question that may ask you a question track. If you're a little bit more old school, you may have heard the Romans road, you know, where it's Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10, you know, and, and these things. And then we have in the book of John, you know, so these verses that you memorize, you say, or you may have heard the four spiritual laws um, or, or, or something along that line, or the wordless book, you know, children learn the wordless book and what these different colors mean. I'm going to show you a way. That is a very simple way that you can share the gospel with someone. We're going to do it every week, this week, and the next three weeks. And we're going to go over the same thing, excuse me, over and over so you can learn this. A couple questions I have for you, okay? And uh, the question is this. Do you believe that Centerpoint Bible Church exists to point people to Jesus Christ and his word? Okay. Do you believe... That you exist to point people to Jesus Christ and his word. Yes. Wholeheartedly yes. We exist to point people to Jesus Christ and his word. I'm going to show you how to do that. I actually wrote some notes because I do it a lot of different ways. I want to make sure I get it correct. Uh, Imagine you're talking with someone and they're sharing with you some issues and struggles they're having in life. This happens all the time. Every conversation that we have, every conversation we have, eventually it leads to someone talking about how something is not right in the world. Whether it is, it is themselves, whether it's society, whether it's politics, whether it's something going on in this world, something is not right. And I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to say two phrases. We're going to stick together for one phrase. Are you ready? It is this. I want you to repeat after me. Can I show you a picture That changed my life forever. Now we're going to stick it together. Can I show you a picture that changed my life forever? Say yes. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, yes. Can I show you a picture that has changed my life forever? You said yes. Well, let me do that. And it's called the three circles. I have my thing here. And now I'm going to go and act like. We're having a conversation at McDonald's. Imagine this is a large napkin, okay? Or you can pull your worship notes out, and the bottom of your worship notes will have this design called the three circles. You just share with me that there's things that aren't right in this world, and even things that you're struggling with. Can I show you a picture that has changed my life forever? You know, it really starts with three circles. Well, I'll talk about the first one. You know, we live in a world, we live in a world that is broken. Actually, it is characterized by brokenness. We don't need to look very far. You just told me of areas that are not right in your life and in society because this world, this world is broken. You know, that's not God's plan. That's not God's design. God has a different design. Actually, I like to call it God's perfect design. This is the, the design that God has for us in this life. But unfortunately, everybody lives in this world of brokenness. You know why we live in this world? Because we've done something that has ejected us from God's perfect design and cast us into brokenness.
And the Bible calls this weird word, calls it sin. It means doing anything that is against God and his perfect design. Be lying, stealing, cheating, whatever it is, has cast everyone in this world of brokenness. But the strange thing is, people realize that their world is broken. And they don't want to live in it. So what, what you do, what I've done in my life, is I've tried to unbreak my world. I've tried to correct it on my own. I've either tried to get a better education. I've tried to seek fame or fortune or pleasure. Just seeking self. And all these times, I try to, I try to escape from this world of brokenness. But unfortunately, I kept returning to it. Because no matter how, how hard I tried to break free, I always return to this world of brokenness. You too. You too. See, God knew this in his perfect design, that there's no way we could get back to him. So he made a way. He made a way for us. And that's the third circle. And that way is his son, Jesus. Really, the Bible calls it the gospel or the good news. And the good news is all about Jesus. You see, God knew that we could never make it back to his perfect design without his, his help. So what he did was he sent his son, Jesus, to come down on this earth. And the amazing thing is, Jesus lived a life as a man, just like us, in a broken world, but he did not succumb to the brokenness through sin. So he did this so that he could lay his life down on the cross for us, taking our brokenness and our sin and carrying it upon himself. It'd be really sad if it just ended there. But the amazing thing is, on the third day, he rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating brokenness. And so no matter how much we try to get out of this, we, try to, we always return to the brokenness. God made a way, and that way is through his son, Jesus. Instead of, instead of returning to this, God calls us to turn to Jesus. The Bible word is called repent. It's called repent. And the word repent just means you turn 180 degrees from one way to another. So instead of turning toward this brokenness, we have an opportunity to turn toward God's perfect design through Jesus. You know, if you do this, also in Mark 1 it says, you need to repent and you need to believe. If you do this, God, God will make it so you can enter back into his perfect design. But you need to repent, turn all this all the brokenness, the sin. Lay it on Jesus and believe in the sacrifice of his son. You know, it'd be neat if it stopped there, but the amazing thing about me and my life, that's why I wanted to share this picture with you, is that it didn't stop there because I had this desire to, to learn more about God's perfect design. What I wanted to do was I wanted to grow. And how I did this is many different ways. I got involved in church. I started reading God's word, God's word for myself. And I realized something, that God didn't just want me to grow. He wanted me to go. He wanted me to go back and tell everyone else about his plan. So, at McDonald's over a napkin, I want to ask you this question. 
There's two types of people in this world. There's people that live in God's perfect design. And there's people that live in brokenness. Which one are you? Which one are you? From that moment, someone will have a response. They'll say, I'm in this, but I don't know how to get there. Whatever, this, that, or the other. And it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit. B, believe. And C, call. Admit, we can't get to God's perfect design on our own. Believe, turn from our sin and believe on Jesus and call out to him to help you learn his perfect design. And that's the three-circle gospel presentation. And what we're going to do every week is we're going to talk about this. And I'm going to share the same exact thing. So, Pashalol. It's that easy. The gospel is, I mean, you, can, you cannot get to the bottom of it if you dive in. But it's simple enough that a childlike faith can respond. So I'll ask you, before we close out with one more song and end our time of celebration today of Jesus, have you put your trust in Christ? Have you gone full circle? Secondly, is there someone in your life right now that you need to start praying that you have the opportunity? I believe if you ask God for an opportunity to share the gospel with someone in your life, that's, that's a request he's going to respond to if you seek him, if you seek that opportunity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in what you called us to. You told us to come follow you and you make us fishers of men. Lord, help us to know who it is and when it is that you want us to share your gospel with someone in our life, Lord. Give us the courage to follow through. Give us the wisdom to to know when to say what. But Lord, more than important in all of those things is that your spirit would work and quicken dead people to life. God, you have saved us. And we worship you for that, Lord. We worship you for who you are and what you have done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.